be seated, please. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. It's a blessed thing to know our position before a Lord who is full of truth and grace. Amen? Again, if you're a visitor with us and you're looking for a home, welcome home. We'd love to have you become part of our church. I'd like to call attention to uh, a little article here on Magi Boxes. If you don't know what Magi Boxes are, they're Make a Godly Impact uh, boxes that we put together. We believe that part of being a Christian is to show grace and mercy, justice and mercy. And part of mercy is giving to those who are without. So about every six months, Jack, we get together and fill 50 boxes full of clothing, full of uh, hygiene products, full of school supplies, and we take those and have them shipped out all over to those in third world countries. And a list of those countries are in that article. Now, to organize all that, we put together tabs, and they're right back there. Yes, this is okay to turn and look at those tabs on that back glass back there. If you pull one of those tabs off, you're committing to buy whatever is on that tab. And we tried to devise those tabs so they're somewhere between $10 and $20. If you take that tab, buy what's on it, there's a box in the back that says Magi on it, or you can see Anna or Tina or Tara, and they will get all that stuff back to one single room, and they'll get it divided back, and then in a couple of weeks, We'll get together on a Sunday night, and we'll put these boxes together. That's a really great work. Well, we continue on with Encounters to Christ. This morning, we're going to look at a man who thinks that he knows what his greatest problem is, but comes to find out that's really not what it was. And another one who probably thinks that he's beyond redemption. Our first story, let's follow along in Luke chapter 5. Let your finger fall down to verse 18. It's found in Matthew, Mark, but Luke is the writing that will follow this morning. Jesus is in Capernaum. Now Jesus lived in Capernaum, and N.T. Wright thinks... Uh, that, that Capernaum, this story takes place in Capernaum, not just at anybody's house, but N.T. Wright thinks this is probably Jesus' house where this happens. Jesus has been on this, on this small circuit of preaching and teaching around the Sea of Galilee, and everybody likes what they hear, and he's becoming very popular. And this morning in this house... There's not just lay people, but there are scribes and Pharisees who have come to hear Jesus. And they've piled into this house, and it's so thick that you can't get in anymore. And George David, it's so piled into that people are around the front door, and you can't even, you can't even get near the door, the front door. And this, this paralytic man, this cripple, he's got... Four really good friends who are doing what a really good friend should do. The most, the kindest thing a friend can do. They're trying to get their crippled friend 
their friend who needs healing to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that before? That's the greatest thing that a friend could do is to bring someone hurting and need of healing to the feet of Jesus. Well, they can't get him there. They're trying, but they can't get through the door. There's a crowd, and their friend is on a pallet. And it's hard enough to get that pallet through that door when there's nobody there. So they devise a plan. You've heard the story before, right? But for just a moment, I, I want you to step out of the text that you've all, all read and enter the narrative in your mind, right? Jesus is in the room, and he's teaching to the Pharisees and, and to the lay people there. And he's sharing the word of God. And everybody knows that the power to heal is on him, and they're listening. And he's got everyone's attention, and while everyone's listening to him, suddenly you hear this. And then Jesus keeps talking. And after a while, maybe the thumping is getting heavier and a little bit of dust falls through the room, lands on a little boy, and his mama just kind of brushes it off. And then suddenly, where you heard the thumping, a ray of light comes through. And that ray of light catches everyone's attention in this dark room as the sunshine comes through the room. And suddenly, the tiles are being peeled off the ceiling. And it's being exposed. And the sunshine is coming through. And from four ropes... A man is being lowered down into the room as Jesus preaches and teaches. And it catches everyone's attention. And they lower him all the way down onto the floor. And he's laying there in front of Jesus. And Jesus says the strangest thing. He looks up. And he sees the people who just tore a hole in his roof. And he smiles because he sees their faith. And then he looks down and he says the strangest thing to this guy. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Now narrative doesn't tell us what he's thinking. It does tell us what the Pharisees are thinking, okay? Jesus knows what the Pharisees are thinking, and in just a moment, you're going to read that narrative with me. But I got to tell you, I think the guy on the ground has got something to say that the narrative didn't record. Uh, Jesus... Wait a minute. Um, maybe you're missing the point. My friends brought me in here. My friends brought me in here so you could heal me. You see, I'm a cripple. That's why I'm on this pallet. And if you could just heal me, I'd be set for life. Isn't that what you do? 
net the prayers you pray? God, if you could just heal me, if you could just heal me, everything would be fine. God, if you could, if you could just give me that career, if you could just give me that career that I've always wanted, then life would be set. Lord, if you could just give me that spouse, just give me that spouse, that good husband or that good wife that I've always wanted, then life would be good and I'd be set. And some of you, unfortunately, have even bought into this lie. Lord, just give me financial stability and all my life will be worked out. Everything will be great. I'll, I'll, I'll never have another worry in life. Jesus knows better, though, doesn't he? In a day, in a week, maybe a month, two months, maybe a year goes by and the euphoria will fade right? And something else will go wrong. The job will fail you. Your spouse will disappoint you. The crowd will reject you. Personal disasters will make you sad and lonely and steal your joy. Friends will leave you lonely. I love what the writer Cynthia Heimel wrote. She writes for The Village Voice. That's a, a popular, famous celebrity magazine. She wrote, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now, now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed for it. And the morning after each one of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing that they were striving for, that fame, that thing that was going to make everything okay and give them value, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened. And nothing changed. They were still themselves. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. You see this morning, Jesus knows why the cripple came. But he's got a bigger issue on his hands. And that's sin. And he knows the kindest thing that he can do for this cripple, for this paralytic man, is to forgive him of his sins. Because when you're forgiven of your sins, then you can have what's really valuable in your life, and that's a relationship with your God and your Savior. Amen? That's what's really important. That's what's at the center of life. You see, 
You're never lost with Jesus. You'll never be disappointed in Christ. He'll never reject one of his followers. Yes, sad things will happen to you while you're in Christ, but those sad things will never steal your joy, right? You'll never be lonely again because he'll take all your burdens. He tells you he'll carry them. Besides that, his spirit will dwell within you forever. Part of him will dwell in you forever. Well, it's time to start. Okay. Some of the scribes said to themselves, this, this fellow is blaspheming. Only God, only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? Jesus, being God, knows what's on their heart, Nicholas, and he says, which is easier? He throws out this question that's confused and confounded theologians for the last 2,000 years. Which is easier? For me to say, your sins are forgiven, or to get up and walk? And the answer is, yes. It's a loaded question. You see, the only person who can heal from a distance is God. And the only person who can forgive sins is God. And what he's about to do for them is say, hey, I'm God and I'm going to show you that I'm God. And he says to the man, pick up your bed and go home. And guess what? One happy paralytic man gets his mat, rolls it up, and goes home. And they all were glorifying God. They all were amazed. And they all recognized the authority of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to miss that. You're going to see that again and again in Scripture. They recognized God's authority. Folks, when we recognize God's authority, it's going to change our life because we're going to take on His will and His way. And when we take on His will and His way, everything else is going to line up in our life like it should. Now, did Keith Castleman say that I'm going to have wealth and health for the rest of my life because I take on the will of God? Absolutely not. Some of you know better, right? What I'm saying is that he knows what's best for you and you're going to live the greatest life ever possible under his will and his authority. Well, our next story is also found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but this one we're going to go along with Mark chapter 2. So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2 because I won't be reading all of it. Mark chapter 2. Our next encounter is with a man who might thought, have thought that he was past redemption. 
But before we start, I want to give you a little bit of geography and a little bit of history. First, the history. Herod Antipodus. He ruled the Galilean area that we're talking about this morning. He ruled over Galilee from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. He was the brother to Archelaus, second son of Herod the Great, and half-brother to Herod the Second. He lived with his half-brother's wife, Herodias, which got John the Baptist exposed and subsequently John beheaded. Jesus calls him a fox. He's not liked very much by the Jewish community, okay? Matter of fact, they probably hate Herod Antipodus. And it's very interesting. After Herod the Great dies... Judea is spread into regions, and it's divided really into three main regions, and these regions are controlled by sons and grandsons of Herod the Great. And in purple, you see what Antipas controlled. And guess what? There on the edge of Philip the Tetrarch, that's in brown, Philip the Tetrarch controlled what was in the brown. And when you came out of Philip the Tetrarch, Philip Herod's area, then you had to pay taxes to come into Antipodus' area, into his region. And guess what little fishing shore is right there? Right there in Jesus' hometown is the first place that you would pay taxes And sitting at the tax collector's booth, we find Levi this morning. Before we go into Scripture, I want you to think about Levi and how the world might consider him. Maybe they looked at him like the meter maid. Everybody hates a meter maid, right? Everybody dislikes a meter maid. My, grand, my grandmother's brother, Frank Skelton, was a meter maid the most of his life. And can I tell you, some of the funniest and most awful stories I've ever heard was in the little brick house down on 6th Street of him telling stories about people screaming and hollering and almost becoming violent towards him for writing out traffic tickets. Maybe that's how people looked at Levi in our story. Or maybe, maybe Levi was one of those guys that you knew you had to deal with, but you really didn't want to, like a dentist. I mean, you know you got to go. you got to do something with that. But you really don't want to, and you really don't like that guy being around you. You may not articulate it to him, but i got to tell you, he probably knows. I mean, there's a reason that dentists have the second highest suicide rate in the United States. Or, or maybe, maybe people treated Levi like this little lady from the IRS, an auditor from the IRS. You know, I've never met an auditor from the IRS that people really wanted to be around and close to. Have you, Mike? Have you met that IRS auditor yet that you thought, boy, I wish I was his buddy? 
No, you probably took out your frustrations of the authority of the government on that person because you no longer saw that person. What you saw was the oppressive government that they represented. So here we are. Once again, Jesus went beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. Levi got up right then, right there, and followed him. Everyone else sees a tax collector. Everyone else sees a traitor. Everyone else sees a friend to that despicable Antipodus. Their anger and their sense of justice blinds them, and they no longer see Levi, the child of God. They see the traitor and the thief. They don't notice the man who has stripped himself of his dignity, done away with his honor. But not Jesus. Jesus sees a child of God sitting at the table who wishes desperately he could have the respect of his fellow kind, his fellow Jewish neighbor. Of all the people, of all the people that Jesus could have called to be an apostle, why would you pick this one, Jesus? He's a tax collector. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't look at the outside of a man, does he? He looks at the heart. And there was something there in Levi that he saw that no one else saw. Levi is so appreciative He throws him this huge house party, this feast at his house. And the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, they don't even have the wherewithal, the backbone to walk up to Jesus and say, why are you eating in there with these tax collectors and sinners? Matthew and Mark tells us the house was full of sinners and tax collectors. So there's some people that are just as bad or worse in there with Jesus eating. And the Pharisees, they don't even have the backbone to say, Jesus, why why are you eating with them? But Jesus overhears it or knows it, and he tells them, hey, I'm not here for the well. I'm not here for those who are well, who have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I'm here to heal those people who are sick. I got to tell you, when he says this and he looks right at them, I think he lets them know he's talking to them. Because of everybody in the crowd, it was the religious leaders who were the sickest people there. 
N.T. Wright says, Jesus' actions and words ring out like a great bell in today's world, telling us that time, that, telling us what time it is. Time to bring the lost to Jesus, warning us to look at things from God's point of view, encouraging us to extend his healing welcome, his transforming party to wherever and whoever is in need. Isn't that what this story is about? Redeeming whoever, wherever they need redeeming. Bringing people to God. Restoring their dignity. The question is this morning, Jack, will we recognize Levi's in our own lives or just see tax collectors and sinners? This morning... To the church, Ed, to the church, do you view the church as a museum for the saints or a hospital for sinners? Because i got to tell you, my Jesus saw it as a hospital for sinners. And if we're going to be the hospital for sinners, we're going to have to enter into places where people are sinning and hurting and need healing. Amen? That's part of our call. That's why we're here. So each Sunday I'm going to ask you, have you encountered Christ? Have you met Christ in this story? Two takeaways. Jesus really does have your best interest at heart. I know sometimes you think that maybe Jesus doesn't have your best interest at heart. And you might be asking like the leper, if you're willing. And God's touched with compassion and says, yes, I'm willing. I have your best interest at heart. God cares for you. The next question is, or the next statement is, following Jesus changes everything. Levi is now renamed Matthew. And do you know in his book he never refers to himself as Levi. Levi means attached. Matthew means a gift of God. He refers to himself in his own book from then on as a gift of God. Right? Never again will he be lonely. He'll never be lost. Jesus will never disappoint him. Jesus will never reject him. He'll never be lonely again because he will always have a friend in Jesus. Won't you stand? This morning, if you haven't repented of your sins, if you haven't put Christ on in baptism, if you're still, if you're still not friends with Jesus, what are you waiting on? Why wait? Why hold back? Our elders will be at the back. If you would like to pray with them during this song, they'll be at the back of the, of the auditorium. I'll be at the front. We're here for you. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to be a part of this family.